Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. stands for. Today is Father's Day, and to our fathers, we honor you today. We thank you for being in the house of God. I want to just speak to us today from a very simple topic, and I want to I want to just direct our attention to what today is and what it means, and I certainly understand that we're in a mixed congregation, but I just want to take a moment today and just speak to men. Is that all right? Just want to talk to me, and really and truly, I just want to, I just want to talk to me. So Brother Everett said that last Sunday. He said, "If you just sit there and listen while I speak to me, that's what I want to do this morning." Because I certainly don't extract myself from any of the principles, but I'm thankful that the principles of God apply to all of us. And so, there's something that we all can take away from this, even though. We are in a day of celebrating our fathers. If you would join me in the book of First Timothy, we're just going to read a portion of scripture here. First uh, Timothy two and eight. Very, very brief portion of scripture. First Timothy two and eight. If you have it, would you say Amen? The Bible says, "I will therefore that men pray everywhere." lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Can we just pray one more time over the word, and can we just ask the Lord to touch us today? Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for this holy word. We thank you for this holy house. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us, God, that you've even allowed us to be in your midst. I'm asking you, Lord, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, to rest upon every man, every woman in this building today. Anoint my mouth to speak, Lord. Anoint our hearts to hear and receive, God, the engrafted word of God in our hearts and help it raise up in us, God, a purpose and a goal, God, to live and work for you with everything we have. In the name of Jesus, and the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Today is Father's Day. I'm thankful for fathers. I'm thankful for men. Thankful for the role that men play in our lives. And so I understand that not everyone in the building is a biological father. Understand that, and I certainly am not ignorant to the fact that some of us are young and are not fathers as of yet. But we all stand in one position or another. Either we are fathers, either we're husbands, either we're going to be fathers. But for for the most part, I just want to talk to men today. To men. We began teaching our daughter uh, at a very early age as soon as she could comprehend, or at least we felt like she can comprehend, that she's an apostolic girl. She'll tell you that today. I'm an apostolic girl. She learned very quickly what the distinctive qualities that make her apostolic, her experience that she will have with God and her covenant of separation from the world and her absolute devotion unto God. I'm thankful for the opportunity to give her that, to teach her that. She is an apostolic. And I'm thankful today that her mother is an apostolic girl, an apostolic woman. 
and she has an example in her. However, before I can expect them to be apostolic, before I can expect them to live an apostolic lifestyle, I first must be apostolic. And so from this subject today, I just want to talk to you about the apostolic man. The world we live in, our culture and our present day society has done its best to devalue and marginalize the role of men in our society. We even look at the origins of Father's Day itself. Father's Day, unfortunately, was met originally with cynical opposition. Americans resisted the holiday for the most part for its first few decades, viewing it as nothing more than an attempt by merchants to replicate the commercial success of Mother's Day. And newspapers frequently featured cynical and sarcastic attacks and jokes. Some would even call it unimportant and absurd. The United States' first known Father's Day ceremony was meant to comfort a thousand fatherless children. A December the 6th, 1907 explosion in a coal mine left 361 dead. 250 of them were fathers. While the 1908 Methodist service in Fairmont, West Virginia was considered a success, it did not have inspired imitators. Two years later, a woman by the name of Sonora Dodd was determined not to meet the same faith, and her father had raised six children after his wife died in childbirth. He was a Civil War veteran, and that celebration honoring that father in Spokane, Washington, was held on the third Sunday in June in 1910. Dodd spent years lobbying American cities to adopt Father's Day and reported that more than 100 cities would follow in that example in 1911. However, it still was not met with a, a warm welcome. In fact, early Father's Day celebrations were held, never even being able to pin them down in a consistent fashion. And they were met with cynicism, and they were met with miserable press. One, one writer in a newspaper wrote in a column, it's a beautiful thing to honor Mother's Day. He wrote that in 1917 in the Evening Tribune. And he said, it's a sweet thing to have a baby's week, but a Father's Day would be absurd. That's in 1917. A man by the name of Arthur Brisbane, a syndicate columnist, wrote his, his work appeared in the Union and over 200 other newspapers reflected the skepticism of many in 1923. He said it was Father's Day yesterday did you notice it? If Mother's Day energetically promoted amounts to little, how unimportant is Father's Day? And so resistance to Father's Day continued, and many people would meet that with opposition, even anthropologists like Margaret Mead, who said, who said that the distinguishing role for fathers in the families was not present, therefore we had to create one. And the father's role was minimized. And so I haven't come today to give you all this negative, these negative connotations to Father's Day. I'm thankful for Father's Day. I just want to set the tone of what today is really about. Even in our current society, even Father's Day now is regarded nothing more than a commercial endeavor to the capitalist creed. The celebration has been relegated to trite gifts such as ties and socks and the like. Now, there is nothing wrong with that in and of themselves, but that is not what it is all about. And so I want to stand today in direct opposition of that and talk about the real issues at hand and the real importance of men being men and taking their rightful place in society and in the family. Perhaps those those mindsets played a role in even our, our present day society, diminishing the role of men, saying that the man's role in the sight of that was of no value and that the father and the man in a relationship had no father, not just a father, but 
a present father, not just a man, but an accountable man, a devoted man with moral character and solid biblical foundation. I'm here today to tell you that I am so thankful that I stand in a room with men today who are accountable. I'm thankful to stand in a room today that men in this church have held themselves accountable to other men and have made themselves available. Not just coming to church, but coming to church with something, bringing something with them, not just with their words, but with their lives. I'm here to tell you today that it's even that man, even that man that stands in the place of a holy place and lifts up holy hands, even that man, the devil is after you today. He's here and he is loud and he is proud and his agenda is the same as it always was, simply to destroy and to discredit and to discomfit. Hear me, we are all under attack and it would be in our best interest to stand together today and say, I'm going to be a man and I'm going to be an apostolic man. The agenda, the agenda to discredit the authority of the role of men is nothing less, even in our present day society, is nothing less than what was presented in the garden at the beginning of time. Satan presented his question to Eve, thus circumventing the natural order that God had put in place. Now let me just preface everything what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that men should hold some kind of some kind of false authority over anyone. I'm just saying that that's the way God made it. It was the man first, then it was Eve, and then it was the family. You see, that was God's order. And, and Satan's agenda is the same as it was then to circumvent that order in that natural order that God had instituted. And his main focus, even still today, is the foundation of every living society, and that is our families. He is after your family today, and he's after my family today. And it, and it ought to be something in the mind of a man with that knowledge, knowing that, that there is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that he is no respecter of persons either. With that knowledge, that ought to make every man rise with an, a righteous indignation in his heart and in his mind and say, not my family. You can't have my family. You can't have my walk with God. You cannot have me. You cannot have me. So I want to talk about the apostolic man. The apostolic man and the apostolic family. God is a God of order and he is a God of absolutes. In him is pure verity, and there is no variableness present in him. He is not one way one day and one day the next. He was not one way in 1900 and something else in 2017. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today, and he is the same forever. He is a consistent God, and the order that he made in the beginning consisted of the man first, then the woman, and thus the family. Yet the family, unfortunately, ended up living in less than desirable conditions among the thorns and among thistles, by the sweat of the brow, by the sorrows of life. Even though there are joys, we live in a sorrowful state, in a fallen world, and in fallen state. However, the responsibility of the man has never left him. Even though circumstances arose and took that family outside of where they were supposed to be, the responsibility of the man was never diminished. People may have diminished it, but God did not diminish it. His, uh, his responsibility is forever the same, and his responsibility is to be the man. He is to be the husband. He is to be the father, and he is to be the keeper of covenant. That is his responsibility. And so to be that man, to be that man, that apostolic man, the question is posed, what then should we be doing? 
hear me today, with all the voices, with all the culture that is attempting to dictate with subjective, demoralizing values what a man should be and what he should be not. The only living example that we have to look to Hear me today. And you've heard this time and time again, and if I ever have breath to say it again, I'll say it again. But this is the only place that we can find where a man is is given instructions on how to be a man. The only example to do anything correctly according to the pattern and the order that has already been established is located in only one place, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God places clear It places concise expectations on how a man should conduct himself and the world around him and with his family. And his priorities are simply this, God and to his home and to his family and then to his church and his community. And so let me just take a moment and let's look at some examples. We certainly can't talk about men being men without first talking about Noah. Noah when God produced and, and, and purposed to wipe iniquity off the face of the earth because of the continual wickedness that mankind had in his heart. Genesis 6, 8 through 9 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He said, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. I think that's a pretty good example to start with. The Bible says that he was perfect in all his generations and he walked with God. Noah is recorded as being the tenth descendant from Adam, which is the second father in the human family. And he's listed in the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. The Bible says of him by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. The Bible says in the days of Noah, the thought and the processes and the thought processes of men were greatly evil and exceeding perverse. God said he saw the wickedness of men, that it was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts in the heart was only evil continually and God repented of the fact that he ever made man in the first place and purposed to destroy him off the face of the earth but I'm thankful for a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the midst of all the evil men there was one man who stood up and said no I won't be that way no I'm not going to live that way I'm going to be just and perfect in my generation." Noah found grace and Noah found favor. Why? Why was it that he was able to find such grace and favor? Hear me today. Because Noah was willing to be different. Noah was willing to be different than everything around him. And Noah wasn't ashamed to take on a lifestyle that was in absolute counter opposition to the world that he lived in. Hear me today. Noah was not intimidated by the culture. Noah was not intimidated by other men around him that would try to influence him to do certain things. Noah did not adhere to the pressure to just simply fit in or acclimate to the atmosphere that surrounded his home. No, Noah was a just man in an unjust world. The Bible says that he was perfect in all his generations. That word perfect means to be complete, to be sound, unimpaired, or innocent. Perfect. Not what the world calls perfect, but what God calls perfect. He wrote the book. It came from his mouth. He said he was perfect in all his generations. That meant he was innocent of all the things that were going on around him. Noah just rose as cream would rise to the top and God saw that and gave him favor. In other words, Noah was in the world, but Noah was not of the world. Noah was in the world, 
but he was clean in the midst of uncleanness. He was a man of God. Hear me today. Hear me today. We've got to take this and we've got to apply it to where we are today. If we are going to be found faithful, we too must be righteous in an unrighteous world. We must walk in counter opposition to the world and the culture around us. We must be able to find favor in the eyes of God, even in the midst of an unrighteous generation. Time would not permit me to talk about the countless others that would provide great example for us today. However, we simply can't go any further when we talk about faith and faithfulness without talking about Abraham. Hebrews 11 and 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. We can just stop right there. (laughs) He heard and he obeyed. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham is known as the father of the faithful and a friend to God. We see that Galatians 3 and 7 and James and 2 and 23. His faith in God and the fact that he took him at his word counted unto him for righteousness. Hear me, in an idolatrous world, even in an idolatrous family, he was able to rise and break away from that tradition. He was able to rise and break away from those binds that bound him and he was able to hear the voice voice of God and he was able to obey even in the midst of idolatry even in the midst of of an idolatrous family he built altars to God and not altars unto those idols and hear me today when he built those altars he produced a whole nation of altar builders he produced a whole nation of men who would build altars it has been said that Abraham was in a family whose patriarch was an idol maker, but he was able to break away from that tradition and hear the voice of God. Not only did he hear, but as Noah did, he obeyed and he moved with fear. I'm thankful for the example that these men provide. Even in the midst of an evil, idolatrous society, they were unaffected and uninfluenced by it, but they were affected and they were influenced by God Almighty. Did they make mistakes? Absolutely, they made mistakes. But they were moldable clay in the hands of the potter. They were able to hear the voice of God even in the midst of all the other voices that are in this world today. If we don't turn down the noise of this world and stop listening to the pundits and the the prognosticators that would give us direction in our lives and get to this word and hear the voice of God, we will not survive. We will not survive. They were willing to hear and they were willing to act upon what they heard and it made all the difference. It made all the difference. The Old Testament provides examples. They were in samples. They were pictures for us to see. New Testament, if that's the case, the New Testament provides applicable instruction and application, namely in the epistles. And we're going to have a little bit of reading here, but please stay with me. Throughout the epistles, we are instructed what a man should be and how he is to interact with his family in the world around him, in in namely the structure of the home. Paul writes to the Ephesians, provides such instructions, Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or having any such thing but that it would be holy holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself for 
no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it, cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones for this cause. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let me just pause right here. This is not in my notes, but that, that last part in the wives see that she reverence her husband. I'm not here to talk about women today. I'm here to talk about men. And so if we want the wife to see that she reverence her husband, we better give her something to reverence. We better be men of integrity. We better be men and is willing to give of ourselves of everything that we have to give her something to reverence. He said in Ephesians 6 and 1 through 4, children, obey your parents as in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth and you fathers provoke your children not unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If we want our children to obey us. If we want our children to follow us, we better give them something worth following. We better stand in opposition to this world and give them something, an example to follow. And so the instruction given to the Apostle Paul by the Apostle Paul first, first, as many times first speaks to the role and the responsibility of a man and what a man should have in his household. He compares the relationship of a man with his family as the relationship Jesus himself had with the church. And if there is any example to follow, Jesus Christ is our ultimate example. He is, he is a man that, that, that humbled himself and sacrificed himself completely and wholly devoted himself to his bride and his children. Jesus took on the responsibility to nurture and to care for the church so much so that he sacrificed his very life for her survival in the family. If the family, if the family is going to live in this day and time, it's going to take some men who are willing to sacrifice themselves for their survival. If the family is going to survive in like fashion, it will take nothing less than absolute devotion and absolute sacrifice on the part of a man. Hear me today. And I don't mean any disrespect to anyone, but there are too many fathers who are willing to sacrifice their families for their careers, for their gain, and for their status. Too many men are willing to sacrifice and neglect their own spiritual advancement for the sake of getting ahead. It's time. It's time. It's time that a man would stand and take a stand and take his rightful position in the family. We need more than anything today. We need more than anything today than a holy nation of men who are willing to sacrifice all of the above for the sake and the survival of their families. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank him. I'm not talking about merely getting by. I'm not talking about merely scraping the surface, but I'm talking about thriving. I'm not talking about material things. Material things will absolutely pale in comparison to the, to the backdrop of eternity, but I'm talking about spiritual thriving. I'm talking about families who will work for God. I'm talking about families that will rise up in this hour and give God everything that they have. If the family is going to do it, it's going to take a man first to stand and say, I will do it. I will be that man. Hear me today. It's not how well you give orders or how well you command a boardroom or a work crew. It matters little what position you may obtain in the secular world. All of that, I've already said it, would measure against the backdrop of eternity and pale in comparison if we are not fully and utterly submitted to our families and to God. If we are going to accomplish anything in this hour for God, we are going to have to be 
men of renown, men that will step aside, men that will rise from the ashes and say, I want to be an apostolic man. I want to stand for truth. I want to do what's right in this world and be a man of integrity. And if we are going to do that, hear me today, if we are going to accomplish any of that, it will absolutely have to be bathed and baptized in holy, reverent, and fervent prayer. We cannot, we cannot, and Brother Jerry spoke on this Wednesday night and it gave me such confirmation in all of this. We cannot do anything without prayer. We think we can walk outside of our homes on a daily basis and do this on our own. We are sadly, sadly mistaken. There are, There is sin waiting at your door every day. Can I tell you, it, it, I, I'm, this is not my notes, but when, when the children of Israel were told to come out of Egypt, when, when the death angel was about to come over and pass over, Moses told him, he said, you get a lamb, you, you cultivate that lamb, and you raise up that lamb, and then the night you're going to slay that lamb. You better take some hyssop. You better put it in that blood, and you better put it over your doorpost. I'm here to tell you today that if you don't apply that blood to your life, if you don't apply that blood to your life, we are baptized in his name. His baptism will cover us, but we got to get up every day, and we got to apply that blood because our families are going to walk through that door. Our families are going to go out into that door, and this world is sitting there waiting for them. It's waiting. It's waiting like a crouching lion. It's waiting to devour. And so we have to be men of prayer. First Timothy 2 and 8, we start, we end where we begin. And I promise I'm coming to an end, but we got a long runway, so stay with me for just a moment. First Timothy 2 and 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, most of the time when the Bible refers to man or mankind, it can be applied to anything or anybody, any mankind. But here, Paul says, I will, therefore, that men, specifically males, men, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting at a time when false doctrine attempted to infiltrate into the church, Paul writes to Timothy to provide instruction to him to uphold the godly principles that had already been established. Paul begins his discourse stating Timothy was left in Ephesus to continue and to ensure that correct doctrine was taught and upheld in the church. Paul affectionately refers to Timothy as his son in the faith, somewhat giving the letter a feel of a father providing instruction and passing wisdom to his son. And so let me just pause here to say this. I don't find where the apostle Paul, and I may be wrong, and if I am, you can correct me after church, but I don't I don't ever remember him talking about his biological children. I'm not sure that he had biological children, but he had a son in the faith. His name was Timothy. He started a church. He left him there. He said, I charge you to uphold the things that I've started. So let me tell you something today. If you're not a biological father, if you're not a husband, hear me today. You're still a man and you still are affecting and influencing someone around you. People are looking to you. People are looking at you. People are seeing what you're doing and how you're reacting to things. And if we're not going to be biological fathers, we can be fathers of faith and we can pass that down to a generation coming behind us and say, you can do it. You can make it. You can uphold doctrine and you can uphold biblical foundations. He instructs young Timothy to keep the faith, to continue in truth. And then he explains further the reason in the early part of this chapter. He said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator between God and men and the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified 
in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is what needs to be done. Timothy, this is what needs to be done to accomplish the work of God in this hour, young Timothy. This is what has to be done, Timothy. But this is how it's going to be done. I will, therefore. I know he said, I will. I know that was coming from the Apostle Paul. But if we'll remember, every scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so it was as if it were coming from the mouth of God himself. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He explains what needed to be done and then he expounds on how it will be accomplished. And the same still holds true today. This is how we do it. Holiness and distinction facilitated through prayer and consecration and it must begin with a man. I will, therefore, I'm going to say it again. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere consistently. Paul addresses men first for a reason. The apostolic church is the example to all who come into contact with it that God requires separation and that God requires consecration and that he acquires absolute devotion and obedience to his word and apostolic men and the apostolic man should be every bit different than the world around him in every way possible. Every way possible. Men are to lead and the responsibility to show our families and the world around us what holiness looks like and what holiness is falls upon the man First, we, we men are to lead by absolute example and not just with our words. We can say it. We can have it all down pat. But if we don't live it, it will be absolutely of none effect. If we say it here and then go live something different somewhere else, people notice. And I'm here to tell you, your family will notice. Your family will know. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Pray everywhere. Unashamedly in our homes, in our churches, but most importantly, in our homes. Oh my God, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Our homes should be a house of prayer it is not just sufficient to only pray when you come here it is not sufficient for you to only pray when prayer meeting is called it is not sufficient for you to only pray when you need something from God but prayer ought to be a given prayer ought to be such a lifestyle that we are driven to our knees every day of our life prayer is all we have and prayer is all we need Prayer. prayer must be a lifestyle. But hear me, prayer must come from a holy heart. And prayer must come from holy surrender unto God. He said, lifting up holy hands. Hands that are not dirty. Hands that are not in places where they should not be. Paul makes reference directly to Exodus 30 and 19 when he said for Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat when they go in to the tabernacle of the congregation they shall wash with water they sh that they die not or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to them and to his seed throughout their generations. 
hear me today. Aaron and his sons were to bypass the altar of incense and go straight to the laver and wash their hands and their feet. We cannot enter in this building to offer sacrifice to God without first washing our hands and our feet. Where we've been, where we've walked, we walk in a world that is dirty. We walk in a world that is sinful. And I'm not saying that we go put our hands in all of that, but we've got to wash with water and let the power of the Holy Ghost wash us and cleanse us. We cannot offer burnt offerings and sacrifice to God without first cleansing ourselves. And hear me today, men, men are called to be priests of their home. And so, yes, this does apply to every man in this building. We cannot go before God with unclean hands and unclean hearts on the behalf of our family. We have to be holy priests for our families unto God. That is why David said in Psalm 24, who who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Here's what David was saying. We cannot go before God with unclean hands and an unclean heart. We are men and we've been called to into the holiest of holies. I said it Wednesday night, but when that veil was rent from bottom to top, it let everyone, whosoever will, go in to the holy of holies. Not now do we have to wait for a one man to enter in to that holy place. We have the opportunity to do that ourselves, but hear me, we can't go in there just any old kind of way. We just can't walk in there just any old kind of way, but we've got to walk in there with clean hands and clean clean hearts. That's why Paul said, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. He said again in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so hear me one more time, apostolic men under the sound of my voice, apostolic fathers under the sound of my voice. He called us to be holy because he is holy. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And so we have to be holy because our father is holy. He said, I would therefore that men Pray with holy hands and without wrath. Hear me today. Men are to display their holiness in their actions and in their reactions. Ephesians 4, be angry. Sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place unto the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you hear me we can't go into the holiest of holies with clean hands unclean hands and an unclean heart and we certainly can't enter in with wrath against our brother we have to display our holiness in our actions and our reactions and finally he said and I'm coming to a close if our musicians will get ready in doubting without wrath and without doubting. That word doubting means the thinking of a man deliberating within himself a thought or an inward reasoning, a deliberating or a questioning about what is true. That's what that means, doubting. Not whether God can do what he said he can do, but doubting. Is this right? Wavering. Fence city, doubting, retracting, falling back. No, he said without doubting. We must simply, hear me, get this holiness issue nailed down 
in our hearts and in our minds and in our outward lives. We won't survive without it, and our families do not survive without it. They don't stand a chance without a man being holy, a man who will follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holy hands, holy hearts. Stand with me. We are called the holy calling. In life, whatever position you feel, whatever title you hold, first and foremost, I'm talking to men today, first and foremost, you feel the position of a man. Whether we care to admit it or not, our influence is touching the life of someone, somewhere. The way you carry yourself, the way you react to situations, the way you conduct yourself in business is influencing the ones around us. And the most impactful influence you will have in this world will be upon your immediate family. And hear me, your church family. God in this hour is looking for men who will surrender to his will, consecrate themselves unto him, fully devoted. He desires men who will completely devote their lives to their wives, to their children, to their churches, and to their community. God is looking for real men to lead in this hour. Hear me today, men. It is not sufficient for you just to bring your family to the house of God. It's not efficient just for me to bring Amy and Kaylin here, but I've got to lead them here. It isn't enough for me to merely tell them how to live and what they need to do. That will have no lasting effect but I must show them how to live and be an example of what God's grace has done in my life. And I do that when I lead them in prayer and when I lead them in worship and when I lead them in consecration. I'm going to talk to the men of this church now. And I don't mean any forward disrespect to any man here. But I believe God in this hour wants to give us a complete victory and an absolute revival and a breakthrough like we have never seen before. I believe that that revival will be when men rise to the top of their surroundings and lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting unto God because men hear me, men are to lead in worship, they are to lead in prayer, they ought to lead in witnessing and they ought to lead they ought to lead in teaching the responsibility today begins and ends with you the apostolic man God did not make men so that we could post ourselves out in irreverent in, er, in, in, in irreverent and errant attitudes. God did not make us men to give our ladies and our families orders from swollen pride. God did not give us that, that opportunity to be a man to rule with an iron fist. But God made us man to find our way to a prayer room. men to find our way to a prayer room and bow ourselves to the earth every day and plead the blood of Jesus Christ over ourselves and over our families. God made us men in our way to, to pray under the awesome responsibility that we have to our families to our churches to our families and to our communities. God made us men to stand 
with swollen pride, but to lift up holy hands unto God without wrath and without doubting. To lead, to lead, to lead, to lead. Oh God, I feel, I feel the awesome presence of God in this room. And we would do ourselves an injustice if we didn't step out and let God cleanse us so that we can lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In the name, hallelujah. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. In the name. to do something here. I feel to do something here. Me and we are not in this alone, but our wives are with us. And we're going to lead them into absolute apostolic truth. But hear me, ladies, our men need your prayer as well. If you are, or you are next to your husband, if you are standing with him, would you grab his hand right now? If you're not, could you just lift your hands and reach your hands toward the men? We need to pray now. We need to seek God now. We need to seek God now. Pray for your families now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.